alone. We need a word of hope spoken to us, Holy Spirit. So would you take the word of God that's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and would you penetrate our hearts today? We are ready to hear you teach us the word of God. So we wait on you and ask you to bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Kings. If you don't have a Bible with you, why don't you grab one of the blue Bibles? That's what I teach out of. They're in the pews scattered throughout the sanctuary. You can follow along with me in 2 Kings in the Blue Bible. We're going to be in chapter 18, and that is on page, let me see here, 598. So you can flip there. And I'll encourage you, we're going to flip around to a couple different places, some in 2 Kings. So when we flip away from that, just kind of hold your place. And then we're going to flip over to 2 Chronicles later today. And the reason we do that, I want you to understand this portion of Scripture and how that works. You have First and Second Samuel, and you have First and Second Kings, and they tell the history of Israel up after they come into the Promised Land and once the kings come on the scene. So Saul and David, Solomon, all the way down until Israel goes into exile at the hands of Assyria and Babylon. That's recorded First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Now that particular part of the history was recorded by the priests, those who were in charge of the tabernacle, those who were in charge of the temple. And what they were trying to do is help remind God's people what God had been doing among them over these hundreds of years because what God did in the past, he'd be faithful to do again. And what God's people did in the past that was not faithful, they needed to be warned against doing again. So the priests are very meticulous in recording these histories. But there's this other section of Scripture, First and Second Chronicles, that carry a lot of the same stories, but from a little bit different angle, because those were the writings of the kings of Israel and Judah. And say they had these official court reporters that would write down what was happening in their kingdoms and in their history. And so you get a little bit different flavor depending on what you're reading out of. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Hezekiah today, King Hezekiah of Judah, and we're going to look at a little bit of what 2 Kings tells us from the priest standpoint, and then we're going to go to 2 Chronicles, and we're going to see what Hezekiah's uh, people within his kingdom recorded about his reign at the same time. So be ready to flip and do that. So last week, we started out our new year by just talking about how we love to think about the year that's ahead and we love to start new rhythms and we love to plan about how we're going to tackle things in the coming year and what we talked about is all of us are going to tap in to some source for our well-being for our pleasure for our purpose in life the things that'll get us out of bed in the morning the things that'll help our mental well-being our physical well-being we're going to tap in to some source in 2023 every single one of us and what we challenged ourselves with last week is that there is no greater source to tap into than the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the new year. And what we saw was King David and the example that he set for us. Psalm 16, 5, David said this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You hold my life. And what we saw was if anybody had the ability to lean on their earthly resources, it was David, right? He had a walled-up city on top of a mountain to protect him. 
He had armies at his disposal. He had wives and children for relationship. He had victory after victory for the, from the Lord for vast majority of the last 20 years, 30 years of his life. He had the favor of God on him. He could have very easily leaned on his wealth, his possessions, his experience. And instead, one of the most powerful men on the face of the planet at that time said, all of this is not going to be my portion. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And what we challenged is if David, who had all these resources at his disposal, could say that, then you and I need to pay attention to a godly man whose scripture said was a man after God's own heart. And we saw how David talked about and gave testimony to how the Lord had blessed him and how he's watching over the things in his kingdom. And we left last week with one challenge, another verse from David, Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, where David said this, Taste and see that the Lord's good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David said, listen, I've experienced the goodness of God. I've seen it. And my encouragement is taste and see what it's like to make God your source in life. So over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to drill down on this idea of what is it like for us to choose the Lord to be our source in all things. And how do we watch over that, grow in that, protect that? All those things are incredibly important. And what we're going to do is look at another godly king, Hezekiah, from down into the history a couple hundred years after David into Judah. And what I want us to see is that Hezekiah was another man who walked with the Lord, who trusted in the Lord. He trusted the Lord to secure his kingdom and his kingship and everything he had. And when he saw the enemy coming and bearing down on his kingdom, I want us to see how Hezekiah responded. Because, again, in seeing how godly men and women respond to the Lord in the past, it can challenge you and I to respond to him in the same way. So back to 2 Kings. We're going to pick up in chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. Listen what it says about Hezekiah. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Ella, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king. How many of you are 25 years and younger in here? Good. You're not too young to walk with the Lord. He was 25. And by the way, he was 25 when he became king. The Lord had already gotten a hold of Hezekiah's life when he became king at 25. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and he cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. So I want you to make sure you understand what the priests are telling us about Hezekiah's reign. When he comes to the throne at 25 years old, he looks over the landscape of Judah, and this is what he figures out. It is riddled with idolatry. Idolatry is everywhere. So when he talks about high places, tearing down high places, these were these shrines that they would put on top of mountains because they believed that got them closer to the gods. So you could look over the, the mountains of Israel, and you could see high places. And Hezekiah said, no, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And then it talks about sacred stones, and it talks about Asherah poles. 
Do you know that idolatry had gotten so rampant before Hezekiah's time, they were actually setting those things up in the temple? That would be like setting up a Mormon idol in here or a Hindu idol in this room. Understand how far they had fallen. And here's why they had fallen that way. Because Hezekiah's daddy, Ahaz, had promoted idolatry all throughout Israel and Judah. So much so, he actually burned one of Hezekiah's brothers in the fire to sacrifice to a false god. Do you understand why Hezekiah had no tolerance for idolatry? Are are you with me? Not only had he seen it devastate his family, not only had he seen a brother lost to idolatry, but he has this heart and passion for the Lord, and he says, listen, when I become king, things are going to change. And when he became king at 25, they did. He went through Judah, and he destroyed idolatry the best he could. He cleaned out the temple, he cleaned out Judah, and he turned the people back to a heart for the Lord. Now verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him, which is an amazing statement. Because I want you to understand, 2 Kings is written after all the kings of Judah have passed. This is someone looking back on the history of Israel and Judah, looking at those kings, godly and ungodly, and this is what they write about Hezekiah. Of all the kings of Judah, forwards and backwards, he was the most godly. Now, whether or not we include David in that, I have no idea, because David was the king of all Israel and Judah together. But we do know this. That tells us that Hezekiah walked in the mentality and the heart of King David. We know this was a godly man who loved the Lord and led Israel well. Now look at verse 6. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And from watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So please hear this. Hezekiah's life and his reign as king of Judah was not a walk through the roses. He had enemies. He had pressure. He had political intrigue. He had all those things going on under his reign. And I want you to pay attention to the coming of the king of Assyria. We've talked about this before. There was once a unified kingdom of Israel under Saul and David and Solomon. But because of Solomon's disobedience, God splits that kingdom. He splits it into a northern tribe of Israel and a southern tribe of Judah. And now hundreds of years later, Hezekiah is in charge of the southern kingdom of Judah. But here's what's happened to the northern kingdom. Just recently, the king of Assyria has marched into that region. He has destroyed Israel, and he has exiled those people out all over the world. Now he's right on the doorstep of Judah. He's breathing down Hezekiah's neck. And what does it say about Hezekiah? He says he resisted the king of Assyria. He took his stand against the world power at that time because he trusted in the Lord and he heard the Lord's voice. And we're going to see how that plays out in our story. But what I want you to do now is I want you to flip to the right to Second Chronicles, down to chapter 31. Hold your little place in Second Kings. We'll be back. Second Chronicles, chapter 31. 
And I want you to scan all the way down to verse 20. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the end of 31 and then into 32. I want to read the first four verses. I want you to look at this episode out of Hezekiah's life. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything he undertook, in the service of God's temple, and in obedience to the law and commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. Would you take your pen and would you underline that last little sentence in chapter 31? And so he prospered. I don't think there's anyone in here that would not like that sentence to be written over your life in 2023. I think all of us would say, hey, I'll sign up for that. If I wrote at the bottom of the recap of 2023 for my life and it said, and she prospered or he prospered, I'd be good with that. But I want to make sure you understand why that was written of Hezekiah. Look at what it says right before that. It's not just that he prospered. What does it say? It says he sought his God and he worked wholeheartedly, meaning he would go into the presence of God. He would hear the Lord's voice. He would walk with the Lord. God would instruct him as a king how to live out his life, how to lead Judah, how to fight battles. And then when God told him to do something, he would go do it wholeheartedly. And what was the result? I've heard from God. I obey God wholeheartedly. And so Hezekiah prospered. Same thing for you. You want that word written over you and so they prospered in 2023? Let me challenge you. We have to listen to the Lord get his strategies and instructions for our life, and then we carry them out wholeheartedly. Now watch how he does this specifically. Chapter 32, verse 1. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. So Sennacherib is coming, and he has this way that Assyria would fight battles. They would go up to these fortified cities, they would surround them, they would lay siege to them, they would cut off all resources from coming into the city. So that eventually they're out of food, they're out of water, and they either surrendered or they starved to death. He had done this city by city in Judah. Hezekiah knew what he was doing, and Hezekiah prepared. So when Sennacherib turns his attention to Jerusalem, Hezekiah has a plan. He goes to his military leaders, he goes to his strategists, and he says, we're going to block up all the springs around Jerusalem. We're going to figure out how to do it, and we're going to cut off the streams that are there. And I want you to see this. He does not go to them and say, hey, what do you think the plan should be? He takes the plan to them. And then he says, here's the plan. What do you think we should do? Now, where do you think Hezekiah got the plan to block up all those streams and springs? He got it from the Lord. Are you following me? And I love this. He got the plan. Then he went to the leaders and said, how are we going to execute the plan? What's the strategy? And they do. They figure out they're going to block up all these springs all around the city. And then there's a stream that they decide to cut off. And here's why they do that. Because they know what Sennacherib wants. He wants to surround the city. 
and he wants to cut them off from food and water, and Hezekiah decides to act first. So he decides to get rid of all of Sennacherib's water outside of the city so that it's going to be now a reverse siege. Did you catch that? Sennacherib's going to be the one that's going to run out of water first because he's blocked up all the springs. On top of that, he cuts off the stream that was outside the camp. I want to read verse 4. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the king of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Don't you love that? Who's gonna, they're not coming to my land and getting water, baby. If they're going to attack us, they're going to find a dry bone out in front of our city. So Hezekiah does this, and I want you to pay attention to this. Do you see where it says not just the springs, but the stream? Do you catch the stream? You see that in your writing? That stream flowed out of a very specific place. It was called the Spring of Gihon. It was called the Spring of Gihon. And what would happen is that spring would bubble up, and it would leak water down into the valley and make that stream. And Hezekiah said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to block up that spring. Now, this is what you need to know about the spring of Gihon. You know it's still in Jerusalem today, almost 3,000 years later? I've been to Jerusalem twice. I got three years ago today. We were in Israel. I saw that on my Facebook this morning. Three years ago, we were in Israel. And we got to go to the spring of Gihon. We got to look at it. The spring of Gihon produces 1,500 cubic meters of water a day. That's 397,000 gallons of water a day. And it's still doing it today. If you're trying to visualize how much is 397,000 gallons of water, you know all these water towers that we have all over Florence, including the one right over there in Pine Needles that feeds the sanctuary? They hold 500,000 gallons of water. So just under a water tower worth of water, every single day sprang up out of that spring. And this is what they would do, because at Hezekiah's day, it was outside the walls of Jerusalem. So what they would do is they had this 40-foot shaft that they would throw these buckets down into the spring, and they would pull the water up, and it would supply the city, and they never had to leave the city walls because the spring was technically outside the walls of the city. And not only did it feed the city, but it made that stream out into the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. He said, listen, no more of that. So he blocks up the spring, so no more stream. And then guess what he does? He walls up and extends the wall out so that he brings the spring within the walls of the city. And now watch this. Let's take some notes. You got some notes there in your bulletin. Let me just point out a few things for you. I want to make sure you get this because there's great lessons. These are physical things that are happening, but I think there's great spiritual lessons to pull from this. The first is this. The Lord had provided Jerusalem with a unique source of life. That spring of Gihon was a unique source of life for that city. You can look at ancient records. Here's what you'll find. There's only been one ancient city that had any significance in history that was not located on a river, only one. You know why ancient cities, to get any kind of size, have to be located on rivers? Because you need fresh water. But there's one that didn't have to be located on a river. Guess what it was? Jerusalem. Why? Spring of Gihon. It had all the water it needed. 
It was a unique source of life for that city. Number two, when Hezekiah saw the enemy coming, he acted to protect his access to what God had provided. Look, he saw the danger on the horizon. He knew what Sennacherib was going to do, and he took action. He didn't say, well, you know what? I hope that doesn't happen. No, he knew what was going to happen, and he took and he acted. And what did he act to do? To protect his access to that source of life. I've challenged you for two weeks now. The only way we're going to thrive in this world and in this culture is if we commit ourselves to make Jesus the source of our life. Listen, your bank account is not going to be a good enough source for you. Your job is not going to be a good enough source for you. I hope, I hope you have that job the next 30 years. I'm not realistic about that, though. Your family, as good as they are and as fun as they are and as loving as they are, your family is not going to be enough to be a source of peace and passion and joy in your life. The only thing that's going to allow you to thrive now is making Jesus your source. And when we see the enemy coming to attack our time with the Lord, when we see the enemy trying to cut us off from our time with the Lord, we need to act. And here's why. Here's why the enemy wants that. He wants you out of the Word. He wants you cut off from prayer. He doesn't want you in this room on Sunday mornings or in another fellowship. He does not want you accessing the resources of God because this is what the enemy knows. No matter how he attacks you, if you tap into the resources of God, it's going to be enough no matter what he does. But he knows this. If he can cut you off from the source, it's just a matter of time before you go spiritually dry and he will have you right where he wants you. Hezekiah looked down the road. He said, Assyria's coming. We got to do something. We got to do something. I hope that you're looking down the road at our culture, at the attacks that come against our families, the attacks that come against our ministries, the things that are coming our way. We should wake up. It should not make us fearful. Listen, I don't fear our culture. I fear the Lord. I, I fear the Lord. But I respect our enemy. Our enemy's been doing this a lot longer than Matt Walton has. He'll probably be doing it after I'm gone. He has all kinds of plans, and they've been working on the earth for a long time. I respect my enemy. I don't fear my enemy, though. So when I see the plans coming down the road, I need to take action. I promise you, as a pastor, brand new year, brand new year, you ready? Just in the first week of the year, I've seen the enemy come against my family. I've seen the enemy come against my health. I've seen the enemy come against this ministry just in the first week of the year. And you know what? That's not a shock. That's not a shock. That's life. I mean, it's just life, right? And so you know what it's forced me to do? It's not forced me to go consult other people or to make a plan. Here's what it's forced me to do, to go to Jesus more this week. Like I've had to, I just had to be in his presence a little bit more this week and get his plan and get his strategy. And listen, I'm not saying the attacks are past. They're not past, but I will tell you this. I do have peace today. I have peace this morning because I've been with the Lord, and he's, and he's talked to me about it. And he really is a big boy. He has it in his hands. He does. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but he, he knows how to shake things out. It's okay. And we're going to have to do the same. Hezekiah did that. He acted to protect his people. I want you to go down the same chapter. You still in Second Chronicles 32? I want you to go down the same chapter, just to verse 30. Stay in that chapter. Verse 30. Listen to what it says about him. Not only does he plug up the springs outside, not only does he wall up the spring of Gihon, look what it says. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook. 
That means if Hezekiah started it, it went well. He blocks up the Gihon Spring now. Hold your place because we'll be back. Go back to 2 Kings. This time, chapter 20. And once you look what the priests add to that, not only does he wall up the spring of Gihon, look at what they add. As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign and all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city. Would you underline that? The pool and the tunnel? By which he brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? He didn't just wall up the spring. Guess what he did? He got stonemasons. And he said, we're going to make a tunnel. We're going to make a tunnel from the spring of Gihon inside the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a huge piece of rock that's called Mount Zion. He took masons, and half of them started at the spring of Gihon. Get this. And half started inside the city, and they started carving towards each other. And they carved and they carved until they met in the middle, and they made a tunnel 1,750 feet long. That's five football fields. I have walked in that tunnel. You can go to Jerusalem today. Hezekiah's tunnel is still there 3,000 years later. It still has water in it. It's still, you can still see the chisel marks in the stone when you walk around. Now, it gets tight. If you're a claustrophobic person, you're not going to like that part of the tour. I loved it, though. It was pitch dark. We had our headlamps. At one part, being six foot, I had to kind of duck. That got a little unnerving. And then when the water started coming up, that got a little unnerving. But we made it, 1,750 feet. We walked from the spring of Gihon to the pool of Siloam, which Hezekiah built to catch all the water. Now, here's what's amazing about this tunnel. One, they did it without any of our modern tools. No jackhammers. They didn't have any sonar or whatever it is that looks through the rock. I probably got that wrong, but I don't care. Whatever looks through the rock. They didn't have any of that. They had hammers and chisels and buckets, and they met in the middle. And not just that, it makes an S. So that was really an accomplishment. It makes an S, and get this, you engineers in here, from the opening of the Spring of Gihon to the opening of the Pool of Siloam, there's only a one-foot gradient. This door is one foot higher than this door. And by the way, all you water people, it's exactly what had to happen or the water wouldn't flow from the spring to the pool. You know, I was reading on the internet about this, and they were saying, engineers to this day are marveling. They have no idea. Scientifically, no idea. We have all these theories about how they might have done. Maybe it was cracks in the wall, and Hezekiah and his team just followed the cracks. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. Listen, I know what it was. Like, I know what it was. Hezekiah went and sat with the Lord, and the Lord's like, build a tunnel. And he, I don't want you to get Joe and Paul and Peter. They know how to chisel and put Paul on that side and put Peter on that side. And trust me, it'll work. And they chiseled and they chiseled and it was a foot off and it needed to be. It needed to be. And he did all that in the time it took for Assyria to invade his territory until he got to his front door. I don't know how long that took, but they were working hard. You think they were working all night long to get that done? If your life depended on it, you'd be working all night long too. They were. 
And 3,000 years later, I walked through a tunnel up to my knee in water from the spring of Gihon that's still pouring out almost 400,000 gallons of water a day, still going through Hezekiah's tunnel into the Pool of Siloam. It's incredible. Write that in your history book. Write that in your history book. Hezekiah's tunnel. Listen, number three, I want you to get this. If we'll set out to protect our source of life, the Lord will aid us in doing so. There is no way they just carved a tunnel. No way. The Lord intervened. Hezekiah knew they had to protect their source of life. That's what God told him. And God intervened. He'll do the same for you. I'm telling you, if you say to the Lord, Lord, uh, this is a brand new thing for me, learning to depend on you and not on myself or my resources or my energy or my experience. This is a brand new thing for you. Will you teach me how to do this? The Holy Spirit is absolutely going to do that. He's going to teach you how to study the Bible. He's going to teach you how to pray. He's going to teach you how to carve out a time in your day and make that a rhythm so that you can go meet with him. And he's going to help you protect that rhythm. He's going to rearrange your schedule. I'm telling you, I have seen it. I have seen it. I have seen him reorder my day to protect my time with him. It wasn't too many months ago. I had one day. I usually get up with the Lord early. I was dog tired. I'd been up all night. I could not get to sleep. I slept in an extra hour. I was like, Lord, I've got to make some time. I know, but I just need to sleep. I sleep in. And do you know, I had four appointments on my calendar. And that morning when I got to the office, all four were gone. All four. They texted, they called, they emailed, can't come today. Hey, got stomach bug, can't do this. And you know what God did? He cleared my entire schedule to have all the time that I needed with him that day. He will protect your efforts to protect the source. If you spend time with the Lord, he'll protect you. He will figure it out. Now, I know what you're thinking, Pastor Matt, I'm new to this, and, and I don't know things like how to study the Bible and do this. Let's just get started with this. In your bulletin, we put this thing called going deeper in there every week. It has scripture in it. It has a little bit of a devotional. It is a great place to get started with that. And I hope it becomes a starting point for you, and I hope you build on it, and you learn to study scripture on your own and pray and do those things. But this is a good starting point for you. And if by chance you want to grow and learn those things more, listen, I can point you to 25 people in, this con in the congregation who can sit down over coffee and they can teach you how to study the Word and pray. They absolutely can. Come see us. We'd love to help you out with that. Now, can we do this? Can we go back to Second Chronicles? Because I want to show you what happens when Sennacherib comes to town. Second Chronicles chapter 32. This time I want you to skim down to verse 16. They walled off the spring. They dug the tunnel. And Sennacherib comes to town. Verse 16. Sennacherib's officers spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. So they come, they surround the city, and then they get one of their guys who speaks Hebrews, or Hebrews, Hebrew. And they yell at the city to discourage the people and to discourage Hezekiah in Hebrew. And this is what they said. The king also wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying against him, just as the gods of the other peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. 
That's pretty bold. I mean, that's pretty bold to call out somebody's God like that. Verse 18, Then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the other gods of the other peoples of the world, the work of human hands. And Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. Did you see what happens? The enemy comes, the enemy lies, the enemy makes them afraid, and they don't go and try to oppose the enemy or talk trash to the enemy. What do they do? They take all the enemy's threats, all the enemy's fears, all the problems, and what do Hezekiah and Isaiah do? They go to the Lord. In 2 Kings, it says they took the letter that uh, Sennacherib wrote threatening God, and they laid it out before the Lord. And they were like, you see this? You see what this guy said about you? They went to the temple and they laid it out before the Lord. Look at what it says. And the Lord sent an angel, an angel, one angel. Not an army of angels. God sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. And if you go and read it in 2 Kings, 2 Kings says this, there were 185,000 soldiers surrounding the city, and one angel killed them all. You think you got problems? I don't think you have 185,000 people gunning for you and breathing down your neck. And if one angel can take care of that, whatever you got cooking this week, Jesus can take care of it. I mean, I promise you he can. I bet that you're not facing what they were facing. 185,000 men struck down in one encounter. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. No joke. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with a sword. So that was into Sennacherib. How was his source? How was that going? Not too well. Verse 22, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of the others. He took care of them on every side. Number four, if we'll stay connected to our source, God will deal with the enemy. I made two huge mistakes as your pastor. My first was, in the early parts of my ministry, I had not learned to make sure God was my source every single day. And so I would just come in the office and I would just try to solve the problems of what we had going on at the church. And I would call people and I would talk things through and I would make plans and I would take people to lunch and I would try to, try to smooth things over, do whatever else it was. I had not learned, just go to the Lord as the source. I believe me, I've learned. And I learned it the hard way. I learned it the hard way. Please don't learn it the hard way. I've learned to go to the Lord the source. Here was the other mistake I made. I tried to handle the enemy when he attacked. I'd prepare, I'd do all these things. I would, I would try to take on the enemy. Matt Walton is not strong enough to take on the enemy. But here's what happens. When we go to God every single day as our source and we drink deep from him, he will deal with the enemy for you. He'll deal with the enemy for me. 
That doesn't mean that he won't ever call you to fight a battle, but if he calls you to fight a battle, you can know he's going to give you the resources. But don't you dare go to war against the enemy unless Jesus has told you to. Sometimes the best way to oppose the enemy is just to stay out of it. Mothers, listen to me. I know you love your kids, but sometimes we see problems in their life and we want to try to fix them. Sometimes you need to stay out of it. You need to let Jesus deal with it. Folks, some of you run companies. You have businesses. Problems come down your, the line all the time, and we squirrel away, and we try to cover all the bases and try to solve them. Sometimes we just need to let Jesus solve them. When we go to the source every day, Jesus deals with the enemy. So our praise team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a final song, and this is a chance. This is part of going to the source, worshiping him, being together with the people of God, hearing the word of God taught, allowing our elders to pray over you and your family. They'll be around the sanctuary. If you want to come and have someone pray for you, we'd be glad to do that. You can come to the altar if you'd like to. This is a chance to tap into that source before we go back out there and try to tackle the problems that we're facing. This is a chance to reconnect. So let's stand together. Let's respond to the Lord any way that he's leading us this morning.